0: All right, so last week, um, it was 100% Chris's fault that the slides weren't working. No, it was 100% my fault. So we have resolved the problem. It was here. So I've learned the technology. Everything's going to work smoothly from here on out. Let's begin, that's right. So we're gonna test it right now. We're gonna start here with the scripture reading because this is the most important part, friends. So as we continue now in our God is Green series, as we turn from the story of creation to what is unfolding in new creation with the New Testament teachings uh, of Jesus Christ, of the epistles and what we're gonna look to in Revelation, we're gonna turn now to Romans chapter eight. We're gonna pick up here starting in verse 18. This is God's word for us today. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, who hopes for what they already have. But if we have hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I read about two conditions that are on the rise right now. The first condition I wanna tell you about It's actually been around for a little bit now, but we've seen an uptick in uh, people seeking help for this. And counselors are calling it eco-anxiety, eco-anxiety. It is the rise of people who are so burdened with concern and worry about the environment that they're having trouble actually moving forward and living their lives. People with eco-anxiety, they have trouble simply buying anything because they know if they buy something, they're probably going to have to produce some waste and that will go to a landfill. And so they just, they fret over every single purchase. They fret about turning the air conditioning on or turning the heat on because they know that that will continue to consume resources, consume fuel and to pollute our air. They are concerned uh, about whenever they drive or they walk along the road, If they see litter on the ground, uh, they almost compulsively, I mean, we should all probably pick up litter if we see it, but almost compulsively they, they can't stop looking around for trash and picking it up. And what they're finding is they're actually kind of becoming paralyzed to move forward in life because they are so concerned over environmental matters. Now, maybe they just have their eyes opened a little bit more than the rest of us, but the counselors are giving them some simple instructions Maybe they need to do something like keep a stone or a stick in their pocket. So whenever they're feeling anxious, they actually have a touch point, a reminder that puts them kind of back into connection with the creation itself. Or they get this very complicated instructions, go take a walk in the woods. (laughs) Just go take a walk in the woods and enjoy the environment. Counselors are also seeing the uptick uh, arise in another condition that they're starting to treat. This one, however, is not as widely being experienced. This is really only affecting one particular subset. And this subset would be Christians and even a very particular subset within Christendom. This is affecting people who grow up in a kind of a faith that uh, points towards the destruction of the world and the rapture of God's people. And they're calling it Rapture anxiety. Have you heard about this? Rapture anxiety. Young people walking around with a fear that should Christ come again, they might not be found righteous or among the chosen and all of God's good people will be swept away and they will be left behind like the series talks about. Have you heard about that series? That they, so so this, this series has actually created this rapture anxiety, this fear over being left behind. Now, of course, the beginning of the treatment for some of these folks is simply indicating that the word rapture actually never even appears in scripture and begin to teach them perhaps a different theology to help their understanding of what will unfold when Christ comes. Well, I have good news for both. I think I have very good news for both. For those suffering from eco-anxiety, the God's word for us today has good news for what comes when Christ returns. And this is good news for those who might be suffering from rapture anxiety to look into what the Bible teaches about what will unfold again when Christ returns. And the prescription is going to go something like this. Jesus is coming. Plant a tree. Jesus is coming, maybe you should go plant a tree. Now, I'm borrowing this from N.T. Wright, who created a whole chapter in his book, Surprised by Scripture. I can turn you towards that resource if you want to hear somebody much more intelligent uh, than myself explain this. However, N.T. Wright picked that up from Martin Luther. Martin Luther, it is said, one of his favorite quotes was, if I knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree today. If I knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, I'd plant an apple tree today. So what does that mean? What is that telling us? What is that saying that this is indicating what is actually going to happen when Christ returns? And so here we are today now we are going to turn from what teaching of the Old Testament to what Bible scholars, what I'll tell you about is uh, eschatology, end times, things to come. And I think this could be very important. Maybe this will be the turning point for a lot of us uh, because what we think about tomorrow, what we think about things to come can perhaps have the strongest impact on what we believe and how we conduct ourselves today. And so with that, we turn our attention towards things to come. Let me get us caught up to speed on where we've come from and where we're about to go. In week one, we wanted to establish that God is the creator. Now that isn't argued about too much in the church, but we wanted to really dig down into God is not just the creator, but he's also the sustainer. We don't subscribe to this uh, kind of a, a deistic thought that says, well, God is just the clockmaker God and he got things going and he stepped out of everything. No. The scriptures reveal that God remains intimately involved in sustaining all of his creation. And then in weeks two and three, we look towards our role as the stewards of God's creation. And we first dug into the role of being uh, uh, called to rule and have dominion. And without re-preaching that whole message, we understand what we want rule and dominion to look like at the human level, at the political level, at the societal level over us. We want rule and dominion to bring blessing and abundance, right? Then we turned our attention towards chapter two of Genesis where that is actually spelled out in a little bit more detail as we are told to work and to keep the creation. That work as opposed to something that came after the fall was a pre-fall condition. We were invited to be co-workers, co-laborers, stewards with God, and the nature of that work was to care for, to keep, to guard the creation itself. Now. I kind of pull that all together with this idea that I'd like us to keep in mind as we go throughout this series, as we kind of wed then the old with what we know is coming in Christ and things to come eschatologically, another big, you know, the, throwing out that fancy word there, the kind of creation commission. That the new uh, great commission that we have from Jesus uh, doesn't eradicate the creation or cultural mandate, but they're brought together just as we are called at the very beginning to go and to be a blessing and to work and to keep and to guard all of creation, we now go with this commission. We keep going, we keep making disciples, we keep sharing the good news, and we do this to all of creation. So keep that in mind, this idea of the creation commission. Now, I could say this for myself. Speaking for myself, I would say, if nothing else is actually given in Scripture, I think we have enough to go on. God created it, God sustains it, God calls us to be stewards, I should go forward with those marching orders. I should probably try to be a really good steward of all that God has entrusted to my care. I use that analogy of returning the car keys to my friend who lent me his car and wanting to kind of return it in better condition. I think that would be enough for all of us to say, well, let's approach God's creation and our role as stewards with that same mindset. Let's hope that when Christ comes that we will not be seen as servants or stewards who are judged as doing a very poor job that we would hear, well done, good and faithful steward. You did take all that I entrusted to your care. You did do good with it. You did work it. You did keep it. You did guard it. You did bring blessing through it. That would be our marching orders. But praise be to God, we actually have more. We have more and we have insight on what is yet coming and what has been revealed. So I want to first pull apart what I think is the wrong view of things to come and then point us to what scripture says about the right view, the biblical view of what is to come. The wrong view as I see it is a subset that happens really only here in kind of a Western evangelical Christian culture. And it really took deep root during the era of the Left Behind series. Anybody ever read the Left Behind books? Just asking, just asking. Okay, I read the first one, and after that, I couldn't continue on any anymore. And I'm not saying this in, in, in arrogance. I'm saying this out of pastoral concern, that what I read in that book and what I saw coming, I didn't think it told the whole story. In fact, I think what I think it left behind was the conclusion of the story in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. It's kind of this teaching that began to unfold uh, in, in the American church, and it did start to spread out toward other corners of the world that basically said that Jesus is coming, he's taking all of God's righteous, and he's leaving the world to go to quite literally, and again, I've said this several points several times, to go to hell in a handbasket, to hell, to hell with the rest of the world. L- let, let the evil one and let the unrighteous do whatever they want with all of God's creation. And so if that is your adopted idea of what is yet to come, you then adopt this other idea, uh, what's the old expression? Uh, You know, rearranging the furniture on the Titanic while the ship is sinking. Why bother? Why bother with creation care if it's all being abandoned by God? Why bother with recycling if it all is just going to burn up? Why bother with trying to steward these resources if these resources at some point won't even matter, won't even exist, won't even be where we dwell? But if the story is actually something a little bit different, if Jesus isn't coming to take us away, then we should seek to understand more deeply what he is inviting us to do. I had mentioned a little bit earlier that people with rapture anxiety are sometimes quite surprised to hear that the word rapture never actually even appears in the scripture. Did Anybody know that? Anybody aware of that? Anybody take the time to ever look and try and understand? Where'd this idea, where'd this belief about being raptured away, being taken away, where did it come from? Well, the scriptures do point to Christ coming And there is some mysterious, we'll say maybe metaphorical uh, language, apocalyptic language around what happens whenever Christ returns. Uh, We know that in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about coming and a trumpet will sound and that there will be a judgment. There'll be a separating of the sheep and the goats, he says, and judgment will come upon those who did not live righteously and call upon Jesus Christ, as savior. In Thessalonians, there is again this talk about a trumpet being blown and the dead rising up and those in Christ being caught up, being caught up with the Lord in his return. Then in 1 Corinthians, we see that once again, a trumpet is blown and that the dead rise and that we will all be changed. It says that not all will sleep, but all of us will be changed in the twinkling, in the blink, in the flash of a moment, all will be changed as Christ is fully revealed. The consistent thing in all of this, of course, seems to be a trumpet being blown. So maybe we should be more into trumpets in the church. That's like the one thing that you see in all of this stuff is they're really into trumpets. But what we don't see is this being swept away of all of the righteous. In fact, what is laid out for us is that Christ comes to sweep away not the righteous, but the wickedness. Perhaps this becomes most abundantly clear for us in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, again, I'm just going to take a few moments to walk through it with you. Here in 2 Peter chapter 3, he begins by saying, uh, this is my second time I've writ- written to you, and I wanted to give you some encouragement. And then he goes into saying, because I know that some people are starting to scoff. They're starting to mock. They're starting to, in this time, actually literally persecute. The Christians and one of the themes of the things I often like to bring up is be very careful when we talk about being persecuted as Christians uh, be, be very careful when you say like we are being oppressed as Christians in our time and our society and our culture because when Peter was writing to Christians being persecuted um, they were literally being rounded up <laughs> they were being put in jail and some of them being crucified and killed so he's writing to encourage the church under real and genuine persecution he also writes to encourage them because people are beginning to mock the faith saying where is this jesus as you have promised his return and then what he does is very interesting and i hadn't really seen it until i reread this passage from uh second peter chapter three again i encourage you on your own to be in study of these things don't just take my word for it go to the scriptures he points them to the beginning of creation he says from the very beginning People have struggled to understand, uh, or I shouldn't say understand, people have struggled with God's revelation and, and what is unfolding. And the church has always dealt with people mocking holiness and godliness and trying to walk right with God. So he says, I understand that this is the situation that you're in, but look to the very beginning of creation. This is nothing new. We've always suffered through these things. And then he points to the flood story. And he says, just as God came once with a flood, of deluge and destruction. What is unfolded there, he says, what was destroyed? And he said, the unrighteous, wickedness, sinners were destroyed, swept away from the face of creation. And what was left behind was Noah and the family of righteousness to kind of start again. And then that's where he turns the corner there and he says, so God promised wants to, you know, to, to cleanse the world through the flood, and has promised not to do that again by giving the rainbow as the sign. He said, but he has promised to come again in judgment and with fire. But again here he says, when God comes again with fire, he says that what is going to be eradicated, what is going to be swept away, is going to be the unrighteous, the ungodly, the wicked. And it will be the Christians who will be there with Jesus Christ in his return. And then he gets into a little bit of a deeper explanation. He says, yes, the, the return of Christ will be like a thief in the night. And he says this, he says, the heavens will pass away. Which should give us pause to consider what that even means eschatologically. Not that the earth will pass away, but he says that the heavens will pass away. The separation between God's people on earth and heaven where where God and Jesus Christ uh, reign and with the heavenly host and with saints who've gone on before us. He says that those heavens will actually be wiped away as Christ and the kingdom come down to earth. He says at that moment, uh, the elements... Uh, will 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 burn away now, of course, whenever he was talking about the elements he wasn't looking at the periodic chart of the elements. who here can remember and picture that periodic table with all of i can't i can't remember all of those things. This was just a again a an, an ancient view of the elements, so what were the elements? The elements were earth and water and wind and fire. and he says these elements will come together and they will burn away and he says then and the truth, the reality, the things as they are, the new heaven and the new earth will be, and the word that Peter uses there, it gets translated revealed. But this is a unique word that happens only a few times in the scriptures, it's the word heurisco. And it doesn't sound like anything at first, herisco. But if you listen to that second part of it, um, I'll I'll, I'll kind of be playful here. Anybody remember what Archimedes shouted out whenever uh, he discovered uh, his Archimedes principle? Eureka! Eureka! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Eureka! 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 I found it! Eureka! It's been revealed. Peter is pointing us to this Eureka, this revealing moment, this moment when the new heaven and the new earth would be revealed. And so what we're left with seems to be a story, not so much about God's righteous chosen elect ones being swept away, but Christ coming to his creation, catching up his elect, and all sin and evil and brokenness and wickedness being eradicated, destroyed, revealed for what it is so that the righteous can dwell forever with Jesus Christ. See, this is what the scriptures have been getting us towards from the very beginning. In Isaiah chapter 65, we hear this first promise of a new heaven and a new earth coming with God's kingdom. And then this is picked up in that prayer we just prayed a few moments ago, when we say, your your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is currently being done in heaven. Bring that will to earth. This is the promise that the angels were pointing us toward when after Jesus gave that great commission to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He'll remind us of everything he taught us and he'd be with us always to the very end of the age. Remember those people were just standing around and they're just kind of looking up, wondering what now. And then all of a sudden angels appeared and the angels said, why are you looking up in the sky? This Jesus who you saw ascend to heaven will return in the same way. And then we begin to have the teachings unfold. How, uh, um, let me get my notes here, uh, that we begin to confess as a church that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting every time we turn towards the Apostles' Creed. And then finally in Revelation in 21, where we see then in chapters 21 and 22, where Christ returns with the kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth is established. And there in that vision of the new, of the new heaven and the new earth are two trees. And I just wanna point out or make this uh, observation here that if we believe in the creation story, and within that creation story in those first two chapters that we looked at, we take very seriously the revelation of two trees. One of the knowledge of good and evil and one of the tree of eternal life. And what John has given us is in the revelation, likewise in the final two chapters of the Scripture, is the image of two trees. But these two trees flow from the throne of God. And from the throne of God comes a river of life. And from the throne of God emits this light that is so powerful that we don't even need the sun and the moon and the stars anymore for the light of Christ shines eternally. And on either side of this river that flows from the throne of God in the city of God, are these trees of eternal life bearing their fruit in each and every season. And so if we take very seriously as we should a people of faith, the revelation of these two trees in the garden story, I think it falls upon us to take very seriously and perhaps quite literally the growing of trees in the kingdom of God, when Christ return. Because what is revealed is that these things will not simply be swept away in the purifying fire, but these things will be refined, they'll be purified. It is the sin and the wickedness that will be swept away. And it is we who are righteous and call upon Jesus Christ as Lord and savior, who in fact will be left there in the kingdom to reign forever with him. This is the story that was told by Martin Luther when he was pointing us towards planting a tree when we know that Jesus is coming. This is the story that's being uh, unfolding for us in the stories of the New Testament. And this is the story that I'm inviting you to step into. As we begin to wrap up today here, I wanna ask what does this mean for us and how do we move forward? Our story in Romans, our revelation in Romans told us that creation is groaning, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Now, I think these may be some of the more prophetic words of Scripture that we haven't seen as prophetic. Since we're talking about end things and eschatology and (laughs) things to come, let's just get into some prophetic words. Perhaps these are some of the more prophetic words of Scripture that haven't been seen as such, that perhaps was already being revealed to Paul in his letter here to Rome, that there's a time coming when you're going to see the creation itself groaning more and more, it says, by the will of those who subject it. Perhaps we are living in this season when the creation is now groaning more than ever under the weight of pollution. Perhaps now the creation is groaning more now than ever at our rate of energy consumption. Perhaps now the creation is groaning more and more under the weight of landfills spilling over into our streams. Perhaps now the creation is groaning more and more as the creation itself is being subjected to, what did it say, to frustration. Perhaps the creation itself is being frustrated by the people who are called to be stewards, the people who are called to care for all this stuff are not always doing a very good job of it. Now, I am not here to cast stones. Here's where I wanna take it down to a personal level uh, before we drive it home. Three weeks ago, whenever I started preaching this series, I wrestled with it quite a bit, to be perfectly honest. And I wrestled with it, not for the reason that first revealed itself, The first thing that revealed itself that this could be a controversial topic um, came whenever I got that snarky email or that snarky post on social media that I've already talked about. I said, oh, maybe this will actually be, you know, people aren't too into talking about creation care in in the church anymore. I was a little more concerned about it because I just thought I'd feel like a hypocrite. I just thought, who am I to talk about creation care? Uh, well, I mean, will I just be the greatest hypocrite of all? Because I have not given a lot of thought to these matters, I'm going to be perfectly honest. My days get consumed with um, doing the work of the church and paying bills and getting to meetings on time and what's happening in my kids' lives and uh, have I made that deadline and uh, Jane needs me to turn in receipts. And I, mean, I, I you know, and I thought, am I just going to sound like a hypocrite? if I start talking about creation care? And then I thought, well, maybe that makes me the best person to start talking about it, to be the first one to say, I am absolutely a hypocrite. (laughs) I've been absolutely guilty of not paying attention to, of not always being concerned with, of not always being bothered with matters of creation care. But perhaps if I expose, perhaps if I reveal Myself, myself and others included, might have our own eureka moments. Maybe all of us can start making those small decisions. Maybe to ride a bike instead of always drive the car. Maybe to take the time to get the recycling bin and actually recycle the stuff that ends up in the garbage. Maybe putting on a sweater instead of turning up the thermostat. There's any number of small little ways that we can start to begin to live into our call to be stewards and to seek to care for creation in better ways. And so here I am revealing to you that I think I've been guilty of frustrating the creation. (laughs) I think I have been guilty of not being bothered with saying, how are the choices that I'm making causing creation itself to groan, to groan under the poor, selfish decisions that I want to lean towards. But maybe this can be a turning point for all of us to say, maybe if each and every day we can be a little bit more aware and to make better and better decisions. I also wanted to take this as the moment to report the good thing that came out of that post is that I have actually been invited to go to the University of uh, Wisconsin in Madison in November. And I'm going to spend three days with a group of pastors who's coming under the faculty there. And we're at an event that's called Creation at the Crossroads. And we are going to begin to explore ways that our churches and our community can begin to do better at Creation Care. As we've begun the conversations, we're preparing for this to happen. They've already asked like, what are some things happening in your church? And I wanna take this again as the moment to tell you some things that are already happening in our church so that I can talk more next week about things that we hope might happen at our church. Do you know that our church has gardens? Yes, Yes, amen. We have gardens, praise be to God. We're trying to steward the creation with literal gardens right over there. Thanks be to God. Did you know that we have green space? All of this belongs to our church and it's green space. And now people are already coming up with really clever ideas, Tim, about maybe allowing this to become a bit of a, uh, oh, I forgot the word now for bees. Uh, uh, What's the fancy word for beekeepers? Apiaries. Apiaries, thank you. Well, maybe we could start keeping bees in some of that green space. Did you know that when our church was damaged with hail and they thought we were gonna need to replace the roof, we actually made the decision not to replace the roof But to fix the roof and to coat it with this kind of silicone thing that bounces the hail off, and we are able to not have to actually replace the roof and create all of that waste. Whenever that hail damaged our windows, we were able to put high-energy-efficient double pane windows. So now our church here is one of the more energy-efficient buildings that you'll find. That whenever the fluorescent lights in all of these rooms begin to burn out, that there's been a crew of guys that come in and they replace those fluorescent lights with more high energy efficient LED lights. Okay, you're all starting to glaze over. I get it. I get it. But there's already exciting, I think, godly things happening here that's helping us to take steps towards better creation care. And I'm hoping that this can continue as we end this series, but we adopt the stance to say, let's just be a leading way, a leading force, a church that is truly going to seek to reflect the care of creation that God calls us to. Now, let me say this, and then I'm gonna invite Kellen up to to wrap it up, and then we'll we'll, we'll take this home. Um, People have been, emailing me or asking me a couple questions, just a couple. But whenever I get like two emails, I always think there's probably 10 other questions behind that, right? So I wanna make sure I'm gonna address some of your questions, some of your concerns, some of your thoughts. And so please, in the next week, please feel free to send me what your questions are about creation care. And I will seek to address and answer those in a way that reflects what the scriptures teach And of course, then what we interpret that to believe we can be called to move forward with as a church community. So please don't let me miss the mark next week. Help me to address the questions, the concerns, the thoughts that maybe have arisen for you over the past four weeks. Got it? understand all right good if i don't get any questions we just have to insert my own thoughts and carry on with the sermon but you can help me out and make it more relevant for you now with that said then as we get ready to take it out i said that i uh read two articles that i thought were very interesting and pertinent to today's message about eco anxiety uh and rapture anxiety well let me wrap up with two other things that i read about then this week that seem rather pertinent to this discussion that we are having uh, the first is this. My father actually pointed this out to me. And that first week, whenever we kicked off the series, and naming creation was such a big part of Adam's job—that naming and knowing and understanding the parts of creation. Remember, I went through that, and we tried to name the things in Colorado. We named the state mammal. Anybody remember? Oh man. No, b- bighorn sheep. Bighorn sheep. Yeah, the state—the uh, state amphibian. Ah, the tiger salamander. So, um, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, One of the other things that we mentioned was the state fish. Anybody remember that was? The the greenback cutthroat trout. Did you know that the greenback cutthroat trout they thought was extinct in the 1930s? That was why it became the state fish, because they found some and they began to care for them quite fastidiously. In 2012, they discovered some, and they began to care for them and created all those hatcheries and began to stock them. And since 2012, since that time that they thought that they were extinct, they only existed in those hatcheries. This past summer in Herman Gulch, they discovered a, I don't even know what they call them, a pod, I guess, or something like that, a pod of greenback cutthroat trout. To anybody suffering from eco-anxiety, I would encourage you to say, God's creation has a remarkable way of bouncing back and showing some resilience. As we've been able to celebrate now, the first naturally reproducing pod of these greenback cutthroat trout here in our own state. I think that is something to be celebrated I also shared that quote, though, about Martin Luther saying if he knew that Jesus Christ was coming back tomorrow, he would plant an apple tree today. Another story of great resilience is that in 1870, the Bradford family, under the Homestead Act, put in their request to build a house, to build a barn, to build a milk house to build a hen house, to build a blacksmith shop, and to plant an orchard in what will become known as the Ken Carroll Valley, where I live. In ni- 1872, he completed construction of that homestead. He lived and worked on that land for four years, and as is so often the case in those times, tragically died in 1876. And from that time forward, almost, that apple orchard that he left behind was practically unattended. But 150 years later, yesterday afternoon, I went on a walk with my dog and I walked into that apple orchard and here they are. 150 years later, what was planted and nurtured for only a short season of life still producing. fruit, And that was the vision. That is the call. That is the commission that Martin Luther was pointing people towards to what the scriptures are pointing us towards. We don't yet know what will bear fruit from the seeds that we plant today. Who knows what the little things that we do today to care for one another and to care for God's creation, what blessings they might bring. I would dramatically take a bite of this apple at that moment and in the sermon but if I did that I couldn't say a prayer so let me say a prayer of blessing we're going to sing another song then I'll dramatically take a bite of the apple that has existed in that land for 150 years heavenly father I want to give you thanks for your creation and again I want to give you thanks for the resilience perhaps your incredible creation that despite the shortcomings that bear witness under the groaning of your creation for we know that you know the air is being polluted the streams are being polluted the landfills can fill up with garbage we, we know we see we, we watch the reels we, we know there's so much environmental degradation around us we know that the creation is groaning under some of these abuses. We want to hear this call as the children of God to be revealed. Let us reveal ourselves as good stewards. Let us reveal ourselves as individuals making good choices just to show we care for your creation. Let us reveal ourselves as a church community making sometimes the hard decisions but the right decisions to do the best things trusting that all these things are but seeds being planted that can bear fruit when you return and gather your chosen gather your children and you reign forever in this new heaven in this new earth has been promised to us we pray this in your name lord jesus amen